came home and I didn't know where Jason was. And he was out on the back porch watching it on his laptop. But like oh. the whole house was dark. And so I was like, why is he not watching the game? None of this is funny. But he was. He was. Yeah, he was. <laughs> on his laptop. Yes. Yes. So I went and. It is. That is kind there. of a funny modern thing. Like the idea that you'd watch a sports game that most people would want to watch on the largest television possible. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of like watching on yep. his laptop. Mm-hmm. Well, there it is. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. This is week one of the mini series that we'll be doing here on Engage and Equip called Chewing on Ephesians. Currently, we're going through the book of Ephesians at High Point Church over the course of the next six or so months. And in order to help some of those concepts stick and in order to get the things that we're talking about a little bit deeper into our hearts, over the course of the next six months, you'll be hearing from staff and elders and what they've been learning and thinking about as we're studying Ephesians together. So we'll release these once a month. So look for these episodes as a way to keep meditating on the book as we're all studying together. Today, you're going to hear from Aaron and Nick as they're talking about why we're doing this book at this time as a church and why we're going to plan on spending the rest of our year on it. So we'll talk about what prompted Nick to choose Ephesians over another book of the Bible. What is the main theme from the text that he really wants us to chew on over the course of the next few months? And what are some of the most important takeaways that Nick has personally had as he's been studying Ephesians over recently and over the course of his lifetime? So hopefully this should be really helpful for you in getting some of these concepts a little bit deeper into your heart and setting us up well in this Chewing on Ephesians mini-series. Thanks for listening. Hey, Nick. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Not bad. Good? Good. So I am really excited about the Ephesians series starting up, but I have to be honest, I didn't feel that way at first when I heard that it was going to be like six months long because I thought Ephesians is so short. Why in the world would we need that much time? Um, however, in the last couple of months, I've done, I've been in a Bible study where we talked about Ephesians. We've done some exegesis as a staff, and I'm realizing that it can definitely take that long because there's just so much packed into every verse. And Paul had a lot to say that is very explicit. And also from what I've learned through going through the passage slowly, there's a lot that's not super clear Mm -hmm. just as you read it quickly. So it's not obvious. Right. Yes. So um, my question, my first question is what prompted you or you and the staff to pick Ephesians to go over at this point? And also, why 25 weeks <laughs> to go through it? Yeah, uh, a few. there's a few reasons for that. One is I thought it was time for us to do an epistle again, and one of the more magisterial epistles. So of the New Testament epistles, there are, that is the letters of the New Testament. There are like three maybe that are seen as like great works of literature. Mm-hmm. They're all good letters. They're all good pastoral letters, but there's a couple that are like really dense, tightly argued, right? Mm-hmm. Hebrews. How many are there? How many epistles are yeah. there? Oh gosh, there's like 17, I don't know, 21, okay. something like that. There's 27 books in the New Testament, yep. right? So, to, so there's four, four Gospels, Acts, and Revelation that aren't epistles. Okay. So 27 minus five is 22. Okay, yep. Great. All right. Good math. So, um, yeah. So, uh, so Ephesians is one of three like kind of magisterial epistles. So Hebrews, Romans, and Ephesians are generally thought of as like the magisterial epistles. They're mm-hmm. like, they're just really thick. They, they have really expansive theology in them and um 
and they're very dense. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, I didn't really want to do Romans yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't think the congregation was really ready to do Hebrews, but Ephesians was dense. It also focused on a couple of things. We, I thought three things that I thought would be really good to emphasize. One is, uh, attending directly to God, like the, gr- the great beauty and majesty and goodness and perfections of God and his blessings of mm-hmm. us in Christ. There's a big emphasis on that in the, f- the first chapter, but throughout the whole book. Secondly, um, what we call our intercore value, like our intercultural, intergenerational, international mm-hmm. core value, which is that God has made one people out of many. Mm-hmm. And so chapter two, talking about the dividing wall of hostility, chapter three about making one new, you know, those who were not co-shares, co-heirs in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so chapters two, three, and really four also are all f- really focused on unity in Christ, God making one people out of many. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important for our church, how, how our church is changing as a multi-ethic body of people hopefully yeah. and hopefully progressively doing that and seeing that more mm-hmm. um I, th- I think we need to continually go back to that. And Ephesians it has the most direct complete prolonged argument on that hmm. so i think that's helpful mm-hmm. and then also in coming out of substance and recognizing the importance and the difficulties of just combating worldliness mm-hmm. chapters four five and six focus a lot on that for unlike just a lot of like components of worldliness, like just lying to each other and breaking down unity and so on, how we grow together as a, as the church in Ephesians four, and then chapter five about families and submitting to each other and what what different groups of people are supposed to look like ministering to each other together, and then chapter six on spiritual warfare, mm. like how we live in the world by the spirit, yeah, is an incredibly important understanding of Christian spirituality. So I think those and those things are all like right there in four pages. Mm-hmm. So. It's all together, but it's also very dense. Mm-hmm. And ad- I outlined it for like 15 weeks and I was just going to bl- blow through so much so fast. Yeah. I was like, this is stupid. Yeah. So I decided to slow down and it ended up being, I think you have here 25 weeks. That sounds about yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that there's like, you, you notice the attention to God, the inter core values that you see throughout Ephesians and yeah. then the, um, the need to combat worldliness especially as we think about spiritual war- warfare. Yeah, in very in, in very specific ways connected to personal morality that is mm-hmm. still spiritual. Mm-hmm. So like in the modern world, there's a, a de-emphasis on personal morality and an emphasis on like what movement you're part of or like how, how what kind of advocacy you're for. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you're for this or that public policy, it doesn't matter if you lie to your spouse. You know what I mean? Sure. Like it's just, that's yeah. just not that big a deal. Yep. And in Christian faith, it's just the opposite, mm-hmm. right? If... That, that we need to focus on virtue individually and together in the church and that that makes all of our institutions work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I think that, that that kind of reawakening is important. That's not to say that like how we interact with the world and with the government, whatever, isn't important. It mm-hmm. is, and that's covered in different parts of the Bible, like Second Timothy, First Timothy 2, for example, right? Mm-hmm. But Ephesians brings us back home and says, okay, you need to start with you. Mm-hmm. So is it fair to say that there could be one main theme in Ephesians or is that too hard to, would that be simplifying it too much? I mean, I think you can always simplify everything into one main theme if you're willing to be like simplistic enough, you know, mm-hmm. like, yes, Jesus is great. Like the gospel is the <laughs> one main theme, right? Sure. But the gospel is applied to some fairly different and diverse things, mm-hmm. which I think will keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. But cool. the biggest emphasis would be that he's making one new people out of many. Okay. Because that takes up at least two chapters. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
for you personally, Nick, what has been the most important takeaway that you've had studying Ephesians, not necessarily this most recent time, but throughout your whole life? Um, I, th- I would say thematically in Ephesians that at different times of my life, different parts of it have been really important, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, in chapter five, the section about marriage, mm-hmm. um, I think I, w- I kind of grew up in a feminist culture. I mean, I'm 41, so I grew up since the 60s. So yeah. I, naturally, I naturally grew up both sexist and feminist. Mm-hmm. And so to try to order that the way it, should be mm-hmm. um, based on the teachings about men and women being complementary, united in marriage and how that relates to Christ in the church. And I've understood that at deeper levels of analysis and understanding at different times in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, at first there's the reality of just like, you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church. Right. Yeah. Like with that level of sacrifice and desire. Great. So that, that was about 10 years worth right mm-hmm. there. You know? And then, then there's the idea that it actually doesn't say however she wants to be loved. It specifically says so that she can be spotless and without wrinkle mm-hmm. on the day of Christ. Mm-hmm. So like you're actually supposed to love your wife literally the way Christ loved the church, which is I don't care about your comfort. All right. I care about is your soul mm-hmm. and, and everything else related to that. And so I think a lot of husbands think, well, if I love my wife the way Christ loved the church, he died for her. So I'll do anything for my wife. So if she mm. wants a new sofa, like I'll find a way to get it for her. You know, I'll, just, yeah. I'll keep her happy. Yeah. But then you realize that's not how Jesus loves the church at all. Mm-hmm. And so your love has to mature, but then that can be very condescending and self-righteous. Like I'm Jesus and you're the church and I'm going to make ho- make you holy. And like, that's, that's dangerous. Yeah. Right. And yep. so just that chapter, I mean, over the years, I mean, on, I think it's on next, next Wednesday is my 20th anniversary. Yeah. Aww. So, um, yeah, so that just that chapter, I was like, I've grappled with it numerous times yeah. throughout our lives. Um, Alexia and I have talked about and prayed about like our home looking like Christ's relationship with the church. Mm-hmm. That if you come to our home, you walk, you step into heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not like that most of the time. Yeah, yep. You know, it's that's hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Ephesians two and three have have been helpful in me trying to embrace the relationship I should have within a multiracial society and a international one. Because I like people like me, like everybody does, mm-hmm. and that's easy. Yeah, it's easy, and um, it's natural, mm-hmm. and so I think that that having a clear understanding of what is supposed to happen in the gospel, as outlined in Ephesians two and three, I think has been helpful for me, mm-hmm. and it has it has really helped me have good relationships with um, people of other races and other cultures, yeah. and um, so on. Anyway, yeah. so there's that. Um, and then I, I think just the supremacy of God in Ephesians has been big, hmm. uh, especially like in chapter two, what it says about like, you made no, you are sinful. That's what, that was your contribution to your salvation. Like, but God, <laughs> because of his mercy, he saved you in Christ. And like Ephesians two has a capacity to bring you back to the fullness of the graciousness of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that is the heart of Ephesians. I mean, one of the big hearts of Ephesians is that you have been saved and delivered and redeemed by grace. Mm-hmm. And I think if a Christian can deeply understand the concept of grace, they'll get a lot of things right instinctually. Yeah. In an in emotionally, spiritually, instinctual way. Mm-hmm. And I think that Ephesians has helped me do that. It helps, it helps other people do that. Right. So I think those are some of the things. Yeah. Is there anything new that you have learned or seen differently this time around as you've been studying it? Um, I, so this is the first time, because I was going to take you guys through the English text, 
this is the first time I was able to slow down and try to work my way through the Greek text. Yeah. Because it just takes, I mean, I love, I mean, some people think, oh, Nick knows Greek, he probably reads everything in Greek. And that's <laughs> not true. Like it, it takes a lot of extra time. Yeah. And so and not, not in every sermon do I actually work through the whole text in Greek. Yeah. And I'm trying to do that with Ephesians this time. And it slows you down. It makes you focus more on every single word. Mm. So you see when Paul says, blessed be the God who does this, who blessed us. And it's the same word. And you're supposed to make mm. that connection. Yep. There's a couple places where Paul uses two words in parallel that in Greek rhyme, hmm. but they don't in English. Oh, interesting. And so you can tell that his word choice is partly first, like phonic. It's sound. Yeah. And like, you just don't know that if you don't read it in Greek, yeah. right? And so there's some stuff like that that I've gotten to slow down and work through mm-hmm. that I found really interesting. And those will come out in the sermons. Yeah, I'm sure. cool. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Um, so my last question, and you've touched on a couple of these types of things already, but like I said earlier, you've been taking us through to exegete the passage. Um, just for a couple. For those couple. listening, exegesis means to yes. bring out what's there. Yeah. So it would be to interpret scripture to see what's there and bring it out as opposed to eisegesis, which is to take what you want to believe and what you already think and put it onto the passage, even though, even if it's not there. Yeah. So an example. So it's the first step in interpreting the Bible properly. Yeah. So can you give an example with like how the types of things you would look for? In yeah. So issues? like you would, you would look for the normal meaning of words and the use of syntax, all the things that we normally use to convey meaning mm-hmm. as a speaker. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say a sentence to you and then say, well, that could mean anything to you. Mm, right? right. I use syntax in the normal meaning of words so that what I wanted to convey is what you heard. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to make sure you understood me, you would pay special attention to what words I used, what order they were in, mm-hmm. what syntax I used yep. and so on. Yeah. And that's what we should be doing in all of our conversations mm-hmm. and everything we read. But we pay attention to the rules of it more carefully sometimes with the Bible to make sure we yeah. don't bypass them. Yeah. So along those lines, based on the tendencies that you've maybe seen in some of us staff as we've gone through it a little more quickly than, than we should. You've had to help us slow down. What are some pitfalls that people may fall into as they read the passage because they're either reading it too quickly or it's, it's familiar to them? I think what you talked about with um, like the marriage passage is a good example of that, that um, the husband's like supposed to be Christ in a relationship, well, then that means that I rule over you and all the things that that can mean. So are there other pitfalls that you think could happen if people don't slow down? Yeah, there's so many. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So uh, for some cases, it's just, you just don't, you just don't observe, Mm -hmm. right? The university teaches the OIA method and O is for Mm -hmm. observe, I is for interpret, A is for apply. And so they just say, okay, just stop trying to interpret it. Just observe what's there. Mm Mm-hmm. I had a seminary professor who would give quizzes on the text we were supposed to study, and he would ask what seemed to us like the most obscure possible questions. Because we would naturally read the Bible, what we thought was spiritually or devotionally, so we'd be reading along for stuff that kind of like touched us. Right. That's almost everybody comes in the seminary. And so he asked a question like, what tribe was Barnabas from? Hmm. Right? Or like, wh- where was his hometown? Mm-hmm. Or what was the name of the centurion that Paul like was held by at a certain right now i know the answer to all those questions because i took that class mm-hmm. barnabas is a levite he's from cyprus um the it was the italian regiment that the and i know that because of those quizzes because mm-hmm. could this guy d.a carson made us read the bible and pay attention to the details now what i found out after i did that was that all of those are there for a reason luke was signaling to us geographically how the gospel was moving through the reason right. through the regions the first missionary journey went from 
Antioch to Cyprus, Mm -hmm. which was they went to a place familiar to Barnabas. They went back to his home country as the first place where they preached the gospel. It makes perfect sense if you know Barnabas is from Cyprus and right. Luke told you, right? Right. Similarly to how if I say that I'm I'm Aaron from Norwegian descent living in Madison, Wisconsin, that means something very different than you're Nick Gibson from Italian descent originally from New York. Like there's context because as I read over, I, like I've, I've never been to Cyprus. I right. don't, I've never met somebody I don't that I know of who would consider themselves a Levite or I, so I like the context is important. Right. And, right. And this is Nick, Nick and, and Nick and Aaron with their spouses went on a missionary journey. They decided to start in Norway. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if you being a Norwegian American meant anything about you knowing actual Norwegian customs. Right. right? right. <laughs> and people would go like, Oh, that makes sense. Cause Aaron knows yes. something about Norwegian people and yeah. she'll look like them and she'll talk like them and it'll work. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are things like that. And so in Ephesians, it doesn't tend to be that kind of geographic language name stuff. It tends to be sentence structure because Mm -hmm. Ephesians is an argument. So understanding how prepositional phrases relate to things. What Mm -hmm. is an adverb? How does that, like all those like things we should have learned in English class, but none of us did. Yep. uh, All that stuff really matters Mm -hmm. if you exegete a text, if you're trying to figure out what's really there. Right. And once you do that, a lot of things where you're like, does he mean this or does he mean that? Mm-hmm. You can actually answer that question. Yeah. You can you can know what it means mm-hmm. and you can know which word relates to which word and what comes after what and all mm-hmm. that. But that actually, you have to know how to ask the right questions and you have to like work your way. And it can feel really pedantic. Mm-hmm. But what it results in is a pretty certain understanding of exactly what the text is trying to say. Yeah. Which is really helpful if you believe it's the word of God written, which yeah. it is. Yep. You know? Yeah. Cool. So, and then there's other stuff like misunderstanding. So for example, there's this place in Ephesians 5 that says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm-hmm. And then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And so people will read that and they'll say something like, see what Paul says is we shall submit to each other. And then he says, wives, submit to your husbands. So wives should submit to their husbands under the auspices of us all submitting to each other. Mm-hmm. Right? So therefore husbands should submit to their wives. Wives should submit to their husbands. Right? That's really easy to do because that's what we want it to mean. Mm-hmm. Right? But, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is a heading for the following section of the subsets of people who Paul says should submit, submit to each other. Mm. The other two groups besides wives are children to parents mm-hmm. and slaves to masters. Mm-hmm. Now, children, parents are not supposed to submit to their children. And, right. and bosses don't submit to their employees. Right. Not the same way. And so there is a mutual submissional relationship in all those categories. Mm-hmm. But it's... but authority is clear it's not mutual it's right. not egalitarian right? right and so um if you understand how language greek language about household codes works which is in all the commentaries mm-hmm. then you recognize that submit to one another out of reference for christ is the general statement of which he's going to get more specific and you won't say so that means right ex- essentially you explain away the rest of the passage because of what that verse says mm-hmm. as opposed to saying that verse is the heading for the rest of it mm-hmm. And so we need to realize what it means is wives should submit to their husbands, children should submit to their parents, and slaves or employees should submit to their masters. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that masters should not in Christ submit to their employees or, or even their slaves in certain situations yeah. or even parents to their children. But predominantly the structure of those relationships is set. Mm-hmm. And what Paul is saying is, is the structure of those relationships is good mm-hmm. and you should follow them and they actually represent something, yeah. especially the one between husbands and wives. Mm-hmm. That's the one he focuses on. Yeah. So there are mistakes like that that people sometimes make in their life, and and they and it's usually because 
they want to believe a certain present mm-hmm. doctrine, mm-hmm. you know, they which would, is why it's important to slow down and really, I mean, even if you don't know Greek, there's plenty right. of commentaries and ways you know, I, in the Bible that I have, there's notes in like a commentary attached to the Bible so that I can look right. to see who people, people who do know Greek, what they can say and what they can pull from it so that I don't draw my own conclusions based on how yeah. I feel or what I want. Well, and in the vast majority of cases, it won't come down to whether or not you know the original language, but whether or not you're observant about the language itself. Mm. Because if if you use one verse to explain away another verse, you're just doing something that's fundamentally wrong with language, right? Yeah. Language builds on itself. Arguments build on themselves. Syntax builds on itself. Mm-hmm. If you're repudiating something else you're saying, you make that very obvious, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to ask yourself the question, okay, why did Paul in that case in Ephesians 5, why did he write? submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and yeah. then go on to tell a bunch of people to submit to each other. Yeah. Hierarchically. Mm-hmm. Why would he do that? Mm-hmm. And now you have to try to get rid of all your assumptions as best you, you can. Yeah. Right. And one of our assumptions is a, a deeply ingrained egalitarianism, right? Mm-hmm. That it, it must mean, right? If God is good, it must mean that we're all equals and therefore we all submit to each other equally. There right. are no roles, only roles we choose. Mm-hmm. Nothing can be dictated for us because we, God has to have made a world in which we all can choose to do whatever we want. Right. Yeah. Which is, of course, true. Right. And so so what actually should happen is you read that and you say, okay, you know, wives should submit to their husbands. Okay, that's way worse than that wives should submit to their husbands. It's way worse than that. Because what it means is you don't get to decide what you are. You don't get mm-hmm. to decide all of your roles. You do have roles and responsibilities you might not choose for yourself. Mm-hmm. All that's baked in. Mm-hmm. And those are like, that's way worse than yeah. just that a wife should submit to her husband, right? Yeah. So... um but the whole point of that is like, if you pay attention to what the text is actually saying, it will alert you to the fact that you live in 2019 and you have a lot of 2019 America liberal ideas mm-hmm. that the Bible does not agree with. Mm-hmm. And so you have to decide whether or not those were intentionally culturally constrained to that time. And there's good reason to believe that it would be different in the present context. Right. right? Um, or whether you just have believed the modern worldliness mm-hmm. and you need to understand what's going on there. Right. And so you might, your submission to your husband still might be like a really soft relationship. Mm-hmm. But like most evangelical Americans, especially in Madison, wives who still believe they should submit to their husbands, it's kind of like, it's like a slight 3% preference to the husband <laughs> is what it really like ends up being. Yeah. Yep. Um, as opposed to like, okay, sweetie, if that's what you want, I'll just do it mm-hmm. with a good attitude. Mm-hmm. That's I don't know hardly any wives that do that, but yeah. they still ha- hold this in their mind. Yeah. Right? Yep. Anyhow, but for me, but what that should teach a husband is that, hey, listen, what's true about your wife is true about you. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't get to pick her roles. She doesn't get to tell God who she is. Like, that's true for you too. Mm-hmm. You have these roles as a husband and as a man and as a worker and as a provider, and you don't get to choose those. You don't get to walk away from them. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So that that's that's scandalous for men not just women mm-hmm. if they if they were they chose to understand it deep enough. right and so which is why we need six months to go through <laughs> through all this because yeah. and not one podcast yes is what you're saying. yeah well that yeah we got you're a sneak peek into yeah. we got a sneak peek into ephesians 5 just now but it's well yeah. which i won't be preaching so oh. mike is preaching well, there that you go. Sermon. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so um and he probably won't be as strong on it as i am <laughs> But I, if I, if when we get to Ephesians five, we'll probably have to do like a, like one of these classes mm-hmm. and talk about complementarianism, egalitarianism, yeah. and more complementarian church. Because that is a more prominent, um, hot button topic yeah. right now. And we'll be especially attacked for mm-hmm. it in a place like Madison. Yeah, yep. But it's it's also one of the reasons why we should be proud of it, and mm-hmm. we should say, 
that it's an, a great insight and that, um, uh, especially when some other churches are moving away from it mm-hmm. because they don't want to, they don't either, they don't believe it's true or they don't want to bear the scorn or both, whatever the reasons we yeah. should, I don't think we should impute psychology to them, but, um, some churches have like gotten softer and they've hidden it more and more. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think any church should do that. Yeah. Right. But I, what I have seen myself is people who understand these things deeply all through Ephesians, including Ephesians five, they flourish. Mm, yeah. They just, they just flourish. Yeah. So well, that's great. We're going to have, yeah, quite a while to chew on this. Um, I think the next podcast that's coming out, it'll be Nicole and John talking about what we've covered through May. And so we'll be able to slowly not just hear it on Sunday mornings, but hearing some other people process it on the podcast. And yeah, the idea is like what they've learned, what they're getting. Yeah. It, yep. What's been it, encouraging, yeah. what was convicting. And those are the types of questions that we want our listeners to be asking themselves as well. Yeah. We're also hoping that like that you get to kind of listen in on what a model small group conversation would yes. look like with just a couple of people. Yes. What it would look like to re- reflect well, to ask good questions, to be application focused. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks, Nick. Yep. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.